0: Good morning, church. It is good to see all of you. It's just so good to see your faces out there in that congregation. And if you are watching online, we're so grateful that you're tuned in and ready to hear and participate in our worship service this morning. So welcome to our 11 o'clock modern service. If you are a guest with us this morning, we are especially glad that you're here. And we hope that you'll check out all of the different programs and things that our church has to offer there is a lot going on during this even uncertain time there's still a lot going on within our church well as we stand together in this this beautiful sunday morning let us enter his courts with praise with a song that glorifies him amen
1: sings out so turn
0: difficult times and in times of of bountiful blessing, Lord, may we turn our eyes on you. May you be fixed, that fixed point that we focus on so that our steps may be pure, that we, we may follow your will. Lord, I pray for those right now in this room who may not have heard the gospel before. Lord, I pray for those who might be struggling right now. Lord, I pray for those who are going through just a fantastic moment in their life. But may this be a reminder that you are our focus. You are our strength. You're our healing. You're the blessings. And may we never forget that. Lord, I pray that we would just hold tightly onto you. In Jesus' name, amen. You
2: may be seated. You know, church family and guests. Let these moments of worship be something that just stick with us as far as just singing, check a box, and move on. But you knew we think about the power of that phrase: turn your eyes to Jesus. And like we sang before, everything else to fade away. And when that happens, that's when we truly see what needs to be seen. So we are in a position to then do what God wants us to do. And speaking of the doing. We take the love of God that we experience it here and take it out there. In the bulletin, if you'll notice and open it up. And on the right-hand side, up the upper half. Once again, we have the Operation Christmas Shoebox ministry that takes place. Now, before I forget, the shoeboxes are not available this week. They'll be available next week. But there's two different ways that you can participate in this. And that is you can pick up a box or two and then look at the different items that they want and then fill it up, include a $9 check to to cover the shipping and getting it there. But here's the thing we want to really encourage you with. Pray before you buy. Because what we have heard through the testimony is how a child will get a box, but they've been praying maybe for one specific item. God, if you're there, then I want something. And then isn't it amazing how when they open the box, that one thing is there only God can orchestrate something like that but it all starts with us doing one simple thing praying And so as we pray about what to put in, it'll be amazing to see how God will tangibly use us in a demonstrative act of kindness and love. The other way, in addition to physically picking up the box, some of you love to do all your shopping online. The good news is you can fully do this ministry online. So check out the bulletin for that information. If you still have more questions, you want to get involved in a greater way, contact Barbara Lee from our education office. Her uh, email address is there in the bulletin. Let's take full advantage of this and truly make Christmas something special and maybe life impactful. Well, right now, we believe God wants to impact us. So let us believe we're going to hear from the Lord today.
3: Thanks. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Second uh, Timothy chapter 1 as we work our way through this. Just two verses today, but we're looking at these great verses And uh, two weeks from today is the 25th, I guess it is, of October. And there are two things I want you to know about. We'll have the membership class that day. If you want to join our church, that's how you do it. Or if you want to find out more about our church, you're welcome to come. I teach that class from 4 till 6. Just circle C for class on a connection card so we know you're coming. And also on that day, two weeks from today, we're going to take communion together in our Sunday morning services. And even if you're watching online, you can join us. You can pick up a packet on that Saturday before. If we need to, if you're local, we can deliver a packet to you as well. And you can take it while we take it. Those of us who are alive, you can take it online and it'll be a special connection. The communion is just so meaningful for us. And if you can join us, we'd love for you too. Well, let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read just these two verses, verses 13 and 14, as we talk about sound teaching. The Bible says, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Well, I'm going to talk with you about sound teaching, and the Bible tells us, warns us about the day when people won't listen to sound teaching. That's a common uh, part of our own generation, but as we get to the end of time, the Bible says there will be more and more who want to hear uh, find teachers who will say what their itching ears want to hear. And the Bible says, uh, Paul says to young Timothy, as he mentors him near the end of his life, God says to us, God the Holy Spirit speaking to us through his word, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So let's, let's note four principles together. I'd ask you to write these down as we go. We'll have some, you can write some other things as, you, as you'd like. But let's, let's note these four principles together about sound teaching. Number one, hold the right pattern. If you're going to have sound teaching, you're going to have to hold the right pattern. Paul says to Timothy in verse 13, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. So what is it? What is sound teaching? Well, it's God's Word. It's what Paul says here in 2 Timothy. He says in chapter 3 that all Scripture is inspired by God, In fact, the word means literally all Scripture is God-breathed. God-breathed. The Bible is making this bold, big claim that it is the words of God, not just the opinions of people. That God has given us His Word for us to learn. That's how much God cares about us, how much God wants us to know the truth. God tells us His words, and we're to hold on to that pattern of sound teaching. So it's God's Word and not opinions. Now, if you want opinions— this is your generation. This is your generation. Because you can get people's opinions about almost anything uh, on social media. In fact, as best I can understand it, people give their opinions, and they don't even have to know anything about the subject. They just give their opinion freely, openly, vociferously. They love to give their opinion. You can find your opinion about anything. And, And just, can I just tell you my opinion, except that it's a as it is informed by the Word of God, is no better than your opinion, right? Or your opinion no better than someone else's, except as it matches the truth of what God says. And so you need something more than my opinion. You need something more than feelings. Much of our generation kind of operates on feelings, whatever feels good or right at the moment. We operate on that. Feelings can be Affected by so many things, what we ate, whether we had a good night's rest, things beyond our control, what other people do to us, or popular opinion. What's popular today may not be popular tomorrow. I mean, things change all the time. What's in will soon be out. What's out may be in. It's hard to keep up with it all. You live long enough, you kind of see that pattern happening over and over. And so the Bible is saying we're to hold on to the pattern of sound teaching, What does God say? What is God's word? Well, why hold it? Because we need the truth. And notice I said the truth. I didn't say your truth or my truth or their truth. I said the truth, which sounds odd in our cultural experience because our culture says everything is subjective. There's no objective truth which is an objective truth, but nonetheless, that's, how our, that's what's so commonly said in our world today. There's no absolutes, absolutely no absolutes. I guess to be consistent, we'd have to say absolutely no absolutes. But the Bible says something very different. The Bible's saying it's not your truth or my truth or their truth, but the truth. Or we might say God's truth. And God cares so deeply about you that he tells you the truth, even though it might not match what your particular culture at this particular time in history may think or like or want, though it might or might not match your opinions or your feelings or what is popular. And so the Bible says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching because it's God's word and because we need the truth. Well, how? The Bible says, hold on, that is, the idea is to hold tightly and follow the pattern of sound teaching. The pattern of sound teaching. My mom uh, used to sew. I don't think people sew. Is, it's not real common anymore. Probably a few of you sew, but it's less and less common. And so my, my mom was from the generation where she would make clothes. Like she would make dresses and things or, uh, heaven forbid, leisure suits. For those of you who are, you know that terrible terrible fashion mistake that we call leisure suits. And moms could make them out of polyester or they could make dresses out of, you know, cloth and things. So my mom would get a pattern and a pattern she would, as I kind of recall, she would lay it out on the table and she would pin the fabric to the to the pattern. And then she would cut the fabric along, exactly along that pattern. And and it, you, you couldn't just deviate. You didn't just sort of you know eyeball it you followed this pattern so that you would get the dress or the heaven forbid leisure suit or whatever it was you were making to look right or what at that time we used to call right at least. And that pattern mattered. And Paul says to Timothy, I want you to hold on to the pattern of sound teaching. I want you to follow this objective truth, this this the truth I want you to follow what's right and good and best and hold on to that tightly. Because he's saying not everyone's going to hold on to that. And the culture won't always understand it. And the culture is going to push against you. And the enemy is certainly going to push against you. Follow your own way or or think like what's popular or a thousand other ways to deviate from the truth. But the Bible tells us to hold on to the truth. So let me suggest some ways you do this. I'll just mention four things. Number one is to read. Read the Bible for yourself. I love that you can read the Bible for yourself, and you don't just have to take my word for it. I'd suggest you start in the New Testament. That's from the time just before the birth of Jesus and beyond to the early church. Maybe read that several times before you read maybe the entire Bible for yourself. I'd love for you to read the Bible for yourself many times in your lifetime spend some time reading the Bible. there are many people in our church who have read the Bible lots of times and they've done that because they spend some time every day reading God's Word and spending some time in prayer, have a devotional life. they've developed some spiritual disciplines and uh, you can you can begin that yourself. You could read the book of Philippians t- today, four chapters, four relatively short chapters. Some books of the Bible you would not finish easily, but Philippians is an easy book. And you can read it for yourself. Number two, study. it's good to study the Bible not just to read kind of in a general way where you're maybe not even paying attention that strongly, but to study the Bible. Stop and learn, not just to read broadly, but also to read deeply. Read broadly, but read deeply. It's one of the reasons why we emphasize our small group Bible studies. We call them life groups because we know the value of study. People who have maybe walked that path longer than you have, or people who have learned more about God's Word than you know, or people who will ask questions that maybe you haven't asked or 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 thought about or or just the benefit of studying the Bible. Number three, memorize. I love for you to study the Bible so well that you will memorize some verses for yourself. And memorizing means you know every word exactly as it said. You can quote it accurately, and there's a value to that. We will right now there are children in life groups who are uh, very often we have those children memorize verses but I want you, teenagers, I want you, um, adults, to memorize the Bible for yourself. Memorize some verses, let God's Word really deeply penetrate your life. And then, number four, teach. Now, some of you are gifted teachers, God has called you to teach. Some of you are not teaching because you have not, maybe you've not been willing, or because uh, you haven't grown enough spiritually. You ought to have, maybe in some cases by now, but you just haven't, and so you're not teaching. But even if you're not gifted and called by God to be a teacher in the more formal sense of that word, all of us have the opportunity to teach. You can be a teacher of the Bible. You're in a job that I'm not in, in a home that I'm not in, in a school that I'm not in. God will use you to help other people see the truth. There are many people in our culture who have never really heard the gospel clearly a single time or have never known what God has to say. They've heard the opinions Uh, the culture on everything, but they've never really heard what God has to say. And God would use you to help people learn the right pattern of what God has to say. So hold on, hold to the right pattern. There's a second principle I'd like you to write down. Write this principle, follow the right person. Follow the right person. Verse 13 says, hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you heard from me. He's saying, you heard the pattern of sound teaching, that sound teaching, Timothy, you heard that from me. And this echoes what we will get to. We will, at some point, We're going a couple verses at a time slows it down. But we're going to get in a couple of weeks to chapter 2. And verse 2 says, Paul says to Timothy, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will be able to, to teach others also. So it's these generations of Paul, then Timothy, then teaching others, and teach them to teach others. And he's saying... You be an example. You be a model for others. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. He didn't just say, follow me blindly. Just do what I do. Paul was an imperfect sinner like we're imperfect sinners. And in this world, no matter, no matter who you know, no matter how much they know of God's Word or how long they've walked with the Lord or how much they've studied the Bible, they're all, we're all imperfect. We're all imperfect teachers, all of us. The Lord Jesus is the only perfect one. And so Paul said, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. So he's saying, now I'm trying to follow the Lord, and you follow me. As I follow him, you follow me. So here's why this matters so much. Because we need mentors. We need to see the truth lived out. We need to know the truth. But we need to see the truth lived out. God puts us in community for a reason. There's a value to this. We need to see the truth lived out. We need people who have walked with the Lord, who have gone ahead of us, who know something of what we go through, who know something of the challenges of life, who know about the pattern of sound teaching. So I say to our life group teachers um, this on occasion. I'll say, I want you to teach the truth, but I also want you to apply the truth. I want you to teach the truth, sound sound doctrine, sound teaching, but I want you to apply the truth. And applying the truth is showing how the Bible applies in real life. How is this lived out? And mentors help us to see the Bible lived. We can read about it for ourselves. We can learn about it for ourselves, but we need it lived out. And that model, that example is a powerful thing for us. And we we need mentors, and some of you who are new to faith, or maybe you have never really grown in faith, maybe you've never had someone really pour into you, maybe you've never put yourself in a position to learn under someone and to grow and to have someone who who you've watched not just learn up, not just teach you about the Bible, but watch how they lived and help to apply that to your real life. There's a power to that. So um, in, in my seminary days, long years ago. Um, I want to tell about two professors. The vast majority of my professors were fabulous, but I want to tell about two professors. One was a, uh, both of them were brilliant guys. One of them, I I won't say his name. He was um, brilliant. I mean, he was a scholar. He, in his field, he was just on top of it. He was a, even though he was not a Greek professor, he knew the Greek language as well as anyone. I mean, just gifted scholar, brilliant man but arrogant and uh, condescending and I spent a a little bit of time with him outside the classroom. Just, I I remember coming back to talk to uh, Vicki and and I said you know I learned from this guy I learned so much about this subject but I also learned what I don't want to be. What I don't want to be. And I mean the best of mentors are imperfect models but there was just this he was brilliant, and he knew he was brilliant, and that just didn't work well for him. And uh, he had a fall, and God used that, I think, to bring some humility to his life. But I had another professor at about the same time, and I will use his name. His name was uh, Roy Fish. Dr. Fish was my he became my mentor. and Dr. Fish is, he's passed away some years ago now, but he spoke here several times along the years. And Dr. Fish was brilliant and humble. And I just watched his walk with the Lord. I'm not saying he was perfect any more than any other man or woman in this world is perfect outside of the Lord Jesus. But I could say, I could imitate him as he imitated Jesus. I could follow him as he followed Christ. And I saw Christ in him. And I just needed that. And I learned from both guys. I benefited from both but how thankful I am for a a man who kind of lived out the Bible for me and who modeled that for me at that kind of pivotal time, that important time in my life. Now, this is the second thing I want to say about mentors. I said we need mentors. Secondly, we need to be mentors. We need to be mentors. Now, some of you are not at a point now, you don't know enough about the Lord to know what to teach about the Lord, but don't stay a baby Christian. God did not He did not design you to just be born into the family, to use biblical imagery, and then to stay a baby. He wants you to grow up. But God wants you to not just have mentors, but to be a mentor. Not just to get, but to give. Not just to be blessed, but to bless. And I want you to be a mentor. You work with people I don't work with. You go to schools I don't go to. You're in homes I'm not in. God will use you to be a mentor, and for you to imitate, as you imitate Christ, others will be able to see Christ in you. As you follow the Lord, others will be able to follow the example that you set. And parents, I'm going to say just a word to you, because if you are a parent, you are designed by God. It is God's purpose and plan for you to be a mentor. Some of you had great and godly parents. Some of you did not. I just want to say a word to you, parents. If you have a parent of young children, your children need from you something more than you as a buddy. Can I just say they need you to be more than a buddy. They need you to be a mentor. They need you to be a model. They need you to be a teacher. They need you to be an example. So don't make the goal of your parenting to be their buddy. They won't always like your teaching and your mentoring and your modeling. Can I tell you that? They won't always like it. If there's any discipline involved, they're not going to like that. If you have to tell them no, they they might not find that acceptable. But that's your job. And you're to be a mentor. And you're to be a model. And you can become their friend later. And that's a wonderful gift that God gives. But start by teaching them and see that role that God has placed you in. And God will... The most sobering thing for me when I became a father was to realize that God is described as a heavenly father and that there's something when my, kid, my children would hear, Father, for good or for bad. You know, I would be a, a model, for good or for bad. It's a sobering thing. All of us at the best, imperfect. But I want, I, want you to, I want it to be able to be said of you. Uh, I want you to be able to say to others, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. There's a third principle I'd like you to note. Choose the right practice. Choose the right practice. Verse 13 says, Hold on to the pattern of sound teaching that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So I want us to look at faith and then love. Let's let's work, look at that word faith. The Bible says that sound teaching is done by faith. Hold to the pattern of sound teaching in the faith that's in Christ Jesus. In Wednesday worship I'm preaching through the book of Hebrews and chapter 11 is the great example the great uh, kind of roll call of heroes of faith from the Old Testament and we see all the examples of faith from the Old Testament and Hebrews eleven six says this without faith it is impossible to please God. It doesn't say improbable it says impossible. Without faith it is impossible to please God. That's how much faith matters. So Sound teaching is done by faith. Let me mention three aspects of faith. First is, first is faith in God's Word. This is not just some opinions, but this is God's Word. And God's Word does not return void. And there's a power to God's Word. And I want to have faith that God can accomplish what He wants to accomplish through His Word. There is a power. It shows me how to live, how to think, what to know, what to do, how to act. how to my, The attitude of my life... I wanna have faith in God's word. Secondly, I wanna have faith in, in God's work. The Bible says it's faith in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's faith in the work of the Lord. It's not faith in your work. You're not saved by your works, you're saved by the work Jesus did for you. So you can't work hard enough to go to heaven. I mean, you can't work hard enough to become perfect. It's the work of Jesus that saves us. We're saved by His work on our behalf, He did the work. Jesus, God became a man. Jesus lived the life we couldn't live, that perfect life. Jesus died the death that we deserved. Jesus did the miracle that we needed. He rose from the dead. Jesus offers us what we so desperately need, salvation. Only Jesus can do those things. We respond to his work. It's not that we work hard enough to get to heaven. He did the work on our behalf. We place our faith in his work. We place our faith in him. So we trust God's Word and His work, and then we trust God's way, His plan for our lives, His work in us, what He wants to do in us and through us and with us. It is amazing how many people who name the name of Christ trust Him to save them, but they don't trust Him to lead them in life. They trust Him for salvation, but they never trust Him to guide them and direct their life. And so they kind of make this... Uh, split in life. I'm going to trust the Lord with my salvation, but I'm going to live my life like I want to live it. What a terrible misunderstanding. What a terrible missed opportunity. God wants us to have the right practice of faith. Christopher Columbus, this is Columbus Day weekend. When Columbus came, he came in these little bitty ships. You know, they were, by our standards, so small. He did not, I found this out recently, he did not uh, check on the internet the, the weather in the Caribbean. He didn't even check that before he left. He just he had sailed enough and he knew something about trade winds and he took off. I mean, he didn't know where he ended or anything, but I mean, he, by faith, he got on these little small ships and trusted a little bit of knowledge that he had. But there are many people who name the name of Christ who will trust him for salvation and not trust him with life. I ask you to write the word faith. Now let's, let's note the word love. The Bible says, in the hope, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So we don't just tell the truth though we want to tell the truth, but we tell the truth in love. We don't just have the right action, though we want to have the right action, but we have the right attitude as well. The Lord is telling us to connect truth and love. Can I just point out to you that truth and love go together? They're right here in the text, in the faith and love. They go together. They're not opposites. They're not mutually exclusive. They go together. Truth and love go together. So if we have love without truth, we just compromise. That's a common, common story. So I'm just going to love, but I'm not going to stand on the truth. I'll just compromise. A very common story in the Western world of Christianity. But truth without love is angry, filled with malice and bitterness. Plenty of that in our world. The two go together, truth and love that are in Christ Jesus. And by the way, Christ Jesus is who gives us faith and deepens our faith. Christ Jesus is who models love and teaches us to love and shows us how to love. And he never compromised on truth or love. He put them together and he told the truth to us, all the truth, even the hard truth. Even the things we didn't much like, even the even the things that were contrary to popular opinion. But he loved as well, and he put those two together. And there's a fourth principle I'd like you to know, and that is to guard the right possession. Guard the right possession. So let's go to verse 14. The Bible says, guard the good deposit through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We're to guard it. We're to guard this deposit. We kind of think about a deposit, we think of a bank, and there's some guard at the bank, and you might I don't, you know. Uh, brick and mortar banks are less and less common, but you could sort of imagine if you went to a bank and there 's some guard there and he 's guarding your de- your deposit you got your money in the bank you know there was a guy in our church years ago great big muscled up guy you know just looked like he 'd lifted a lot of weights real strong muscular guy and and uh, i 'd see him at church and I saw him one time outside you know sometimes you 'll see people outside of church and he was out somewhere, and he was a a guard, like an um, armored truck, and I guess they, you know, go to businesses and pick up money and stuff. And they probably wanted this guy because he's, a, I mean, an intimidating looking guy. Big, burly, muscled up, strong. He had a big gun, you know, and a scowl on his face. And man, you know, I, that guy, that's the right kind of guy. That's what I want. I want a guy like that guarding my deposit. But that's the wrong analogy. Because that's not what the Bible says here. The Bible doesn't say go hire somebody. Notice what it says. Guard, or we might include the you. You guard the good deposit. Now get a guard. This is your job, Christian. It's your job to guard what God has given you. He says guard the good deposit. Now the deposit he's talking about here is the sound teaching. The gospel message. This is this great treasure that God has given us, the great treasure, that God loves us though we're sinners, that we're